We're going to kind of start into a new series today. Out of our Easter series, and and hopefully we're all convinced that, man, we're supposed to be like Jesus, and and we're supposed to be um, trying to take steps to being more Christ-like, because that's the invitation that that Christ extends to us. That's the good news that we talk about here is, is, yeah, there's a salvation offered to us because of the empty tomb um, where we can have new life here on earth, that some of the broken areas in our lives, uh, maybe some of the areas that we're perhaps a little bit more regretful towards um, and things like that, we can have new restorative life and And in that invitation of new life, Jesus says, not only follow me, but become more and more and more like me. And as every single time we take steps in that direction, we start to really figure out what a new and full life looks like. Made new by Christ and filling up here on earth. Uh, becoming more like him and experiencing the goodness of God and, and the grace of God. So sometimes at Reach White Church, we talk about the overall picture, uh, kind of the, the big 30,000 feet, if you would, uh, views on what it looks like to follow Jesus and become more like him, what it looks like for the life of Christ to influence our lives. And sometimes we take things down to ground level. We go from uh, we go from the airplane and we take it down to the bus, right? And we kind of get specific and we dig into a couple of different topics. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks here. Um, our teaching series is called Spending Habits. And what we're going to be talking about are two specific ways, two specific areas in our lives where we do think it's valuable to talk about how Jesus influences how we spend, particularly our time and our money. And these are always some of the more uh, tense topics to talk about uh, because time and money are both categories of things that people own. And in our culture, they are increasingly valuable. And and I'm not just talking about like a dollar equals a dollar. I'm talking about like the, the, the building up of wealth of any level. Wealth doesn't mean you have all the money in the world. It means you have some money, right? And so talking about how um, these things really do drive the, the world we do particularly live in in North America. If you've ever been to another country, you might recognize that the pace of life and specifically how time is used is completely different than how we view time here in the States. You could go to some countries and you would need to actively search to find a clock, someone wearing a wristwatch. If you were having a dinner party at five, it means everyone showed up maybe at seven and it was maybe over by 1 a.m. the next day. Time functions differently depending on where you find yourself. And so it would be important for us living in the particular culture that we do live in to talk about these serious issues um, and these things that really do have uh, a place in our lives. And so I really am looking forward to the next, uh, next four weeks where we talk for a couple weeks about time and a couple weeks about money. Uh, before we dig into today's content, over the next four weeks, um, I would really encourage you, um, 
open yourself up to some of the things we're going to be talking about. Um, these important things, and, and by the end of today, I hope we'll see that it really does matter as people who have chosen to follow Christ that we take seriously some of these things, because uh, I do believe it matters. I think we would believe the same. But for today's uh, specific content, I want to lay some groundwork, and I want to do a little bit of a history lesson real quick, and I want to talk about how life was before the words Christian and church were used. Uh, we talk about that a whole lot as we use those words. We, we kind of use that as a label for us as, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian and I go to church and things like that. I want to go back to before those concepts were even something. And, and it begins really when Jesus has his earthly ministry. Um, in our scriptures, we have the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the first four books in what we call the New Testament, and they account for the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see a couple of things that are happening in culture while Jesus is in life. And when it, when it comes to the religious life of the culture, it was extremely structured and it was extremely rigid. For example, uh, there were temples or synagogues and it very, very much mattered, if you were going to be a part of religious life, where you would be geographically, but I'm talking also about structurally as well, is that you being engaged in religious life meant that you needed to be in a four-walled place. That was very important when Jesus was um, doing ministry. I'm not saying this was a part of his ministry. I'm saying this is what was happening culturally as he was serving. It was also very important for there to be key leaders and messengers of the news that was being talked about in the temples or the synagogues. We called those people priests or high priests, and they were extremely, um, very much in control, and that was a very exclusive role to have. There were very few people that were priests, right? Um, that was another part of religious life. And, and the third is uh, the people, the people that participated in religious life. She talked about place, the priests, and the people. Um, all very, very important in this particular religious culture. There's a very rigid system there. It's very structured. And then we see Jesus who's ministering all the while this religious system is taking place. And, and we see Jesus' ministry, and it's really important to see that the ministry that Jesus has ushers in not a new religious rigid system. It's not religious system 2.0. He's not even having that conversation. The conversation that Jesus has during his ministry is, I want to show you a new way of seeing the world around you. It's totally and completely about viewpoint. Let me explain that for just a minute. If, if we were to read the stories of Christ, and we do often here, we don't see Jesus say specifically, hey, instead of these people leading now, these people should lead now. Or do this instead of that. And Jesus doesn't say, you need to now meet in this place rather than the place physically that you've been meeting in. 
what we find Jesus doing is giving value and purpose to the people and the practices and the things that at one time did not have value or purpose. He is presenting a completely different way of viewing human beings. He's not even talking about occupations or titles or roles. He's talking about, I want to give you new eyes, completely new eyes, to give you a completely different way of viewing the things you do, the people that you are engaged with, and how you spend your time and how you spend your money, and we're going to get into that. It's out of that point of view that we organize. But it is a chicken and egg conversation, right? It's, it's is how you're organized going to affect your viewpoint, or is your viewpoint going to affect how you organize yourselves? And what Jesus does in his ministry is he says, you start with the viewpoint. You start with love your neighbor as yourself. You start with love each other as I have loved you. You start with what we believe when we say everyone matters is that God created everyone and loves everyone with an equal and everlasting love. It's around that viewpoint that we then organize ourselves as a body of people, starting with things like love, humble service, seeking peace, right? A little bit of a groundwork, a little bit of a history lesson there. We're definitely talking about viewpoint when we're talking about Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry comes to a bit of an end, and it's time for him to hand off the message. It's time for him to hand off the good news. It's time for him to hand off the mission. I mean, a lot of us know Jesus had disciples. Very specifically, he had 12 people that followed him around and, and learned from him and, and served with him and where we pick up in the story here in just a minute, Jesus has 11 original disciples, and then there is a new 12th. And he hands off the baton. And we read in the book of Acts, which comes after all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, is a book that is generally called the Acts of the Apostles. And we read about how what we call church is birthed. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see the handoff from Jesus' ministry to the apostles, and he says these words, you will be my witnesses. It is in this moment, and it is in that statement, in that declaration, that Jesus takes the baton, he takes the baton that represents the gospel and the mission of God and what the church would eventually become and he takes that out of his hands, and he puts it into the hands of the apostles. And he doesn't say much in terms of what they should do next, right? He doesn't say, start this program, start this ministry, uh, go here first, that's a good place to do mission. What does he say? He says, you are going to become my witnesses. And in that really powerful statement, he says what it is going to look like to be what we are now calling the church. It is an idea of witness. The book of Acts goes on for a little bit, and, and I'm going to read out loud, and 
Uh, we're not going to even have them on the screen. It's a bit of a lengthy story. I just want to kind of read it over us. But what I'm about to read is coming from Acts chapter 13, uh, starting at verse 26. It's one of the many glimpses we get in the book of Acts of what it looked like for the early Jesus followers to be a witness. So allow me to read these verses. Acts 13, starting at verse 26. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Fellow children of Abraham and you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you were at Good Friday, we talked about just that. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross, they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. It is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. Man, as God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose, in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with the ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead will not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You weren't able to get this before. It's new now. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. This is what the prophets said at one point. Look, you scoffers, you wonder and you perish, for I am doing something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving this scene, the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. You can see the momentum building around this new witness. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews um, and the, the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Not so good. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected it first, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. 
And I hope you recognize these words here. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So that's a really long <laughs> but cool story. And there's a couple of bullet points that I want to hit there. When this is all happening, I, I want to talk about some of the big, big statements that are being made under the surface of the actual letters that we read here. And the first is that the Jews and the Gentiles are included in this conversation. And if you know anything about the history of, the, of these two people groups, it was essentially, we're on this side of the train tracks and you're on that side of the train tracks. We're on this side of the hill and you're on that side of the hill. And Jews did not associate with Gentiles. Gentiles did not associate with Jews. But all of a sudden, the baton is handed off from Jesus to the apostles. People begin preaching this new message. And all of a sudden, the people that were once not in the conversation are now in the conversation. That's a big thing that's happening. But it's just one. The other is that prophecies were being fulfilled. The people that gathered at the temples and the synagogues, the people that were religious, had thousands of years old documents and words and letters and accounts that we still read today, but they were a little more new for them than they were for us because we're a little bit farther along in history, where people were actually predicting things that would happen, that there would be a Messiah. And they read about this for generation after generation after generation, and then all of a sudden, here's the group that has the task to say everything that was predicted has happened. And it includes Jesus needing to die, but it also includes Jesus being risen from the grave, right? Listen to this message of forgiveness of sins. In what world is that talked about? In, in what world are we talking about shame and guilt being forgiven and actually wiped away and slates actually being cleaned? So, in this time, the word ecclesia was used. Does anyone remember that word? We've talked about it before, a few months ago. It's this word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. When people translate our English Bibles, they read the Greek word ecclesia, and it's what we say church. Now, what, the reason we talk about this is because the word church in our culture means different things to different people. But what we are sure that we talk about every time that we say church is we're not talking about this building, right? We're talking about the group of people that on occasion spend time in this building. We're also talking about the people that follow Jesus that spend time in other buildings and spend time in other fields that have a community together. When we say church, we mean people. We don't mean place or structure. And it was a couple of weeks after what I just read down the line is when the first time someone said that person is a Christian. Did you know that the very first time the word Christian was given to someone, it was an insult? To follow Christ in this particular day and time was still against the social and moral code. 
And so to say that you were a Christian was to say not, oh, you're a Christian. It was to say, oh, you're a Christian. So call yourself a Christian, but understand. Understand the context of even that label, right? We still claim it, though. Um, The reason they were called Christians is because of their undeniable allegiance to the message of Christ. And it affected every single thing that they did. And so as we close, I want to give you one big thought. You notice I haven't talked about time yet? (laughs) We did a lot of setup. Uh, we, We do a lot of history lesson because this is where it all comes together is that the church, that we just kind of read about how it started and built momentum, the church is to be a unique witness to what it believes is true and what it believes is possible. And this is the big thought of today. In fact, we have it on the screen here for us in just a second. Is that the church is to be a unique witness to what it believes is true and what it believes is possible. I want us to zone in on three different chunks of this phrase, unique witness, true, and not only true, but possible. And this has everything to do with how we spend our time. The group of people that call themselves members of Reachway Church, and the group of people that call themselves members and participants in the churches that are all around this planet, you want to know what one of our first primary missions is? Is to be unique and to be a witness. That the things that we say and do are so unique to the culture and world around us that people notice and want to learn more. Now, for a long, 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 long time, What that meant was that it just matters that we say and yell and proclaim what we believe is true. So you know what happens after a while? Is you start seeing people on street corners in big cities with signs. Because up until that point, what mattered is that we, the only thing we have to do is make sure that everyone else knows what we believe is true. And if you run with that principle and that principle alone, you get groups of people that cluster around what they believe is true, but what they do is they take that and they take it one step further and they actually attack people who don't believe the same truth. Very, very damaging. So what we want to be sure to do is say that the church doesn't just exist to say what it believes is true but that it should also live into what it believes is possible, which would include things like restoration. So here's where we're talking about time. This is why Reachway does what it does, and this is why Reachway will do some of the things that we're going to be doing in the future, because in light of all of these things, we believe it is true that there is good news, that there is a gospel And that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can raise us up from the death and brokenness that we experience in our lives today. Amen. So, Reachway will spend its time gathering, talking about that. 
And we will spend time in this season on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. learning more about what it looks like to say yes to the invitation that Jesus gives us that begins when we walk out of the tomb just like Jesus did. You know what we also believe is true? Is that living in community with others is a good and beautiful thing. You want to know one of the most plaguing realities in urban areas in the United States is loneliness. The reason is, is because uh, there's, there are single people out there and cost of living is generally lower in urban areas just because there's a mass of, of need for housing. And so people who might not have a, a partner to, to help them financially, they only have so much money to... To, you, you see how this is all connected. They only have so much money to spend, and so they can only afford this, this amount of rent, and rent's cheaper in urban areas. And so what we find here in Peoria and cities like Rockford and, and Chicago, Illinois, of course, and St. Louis, is that by and large, we have, we have more percentage of people that are experiencing loneliness. So the church has a unique opportunity to witness to another way of living, where we don't choose to live lonely anymore, but we live in community with others. And we believe that friendships and relationships are a primary way of experiencing the grace of God. We do believe that. Here's the thing. If you believe the Holy Spirit lives in me and I believe the Holy Spirit lives in you, and we also believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling among us, it's not just in us, but it's also in this space, and when we gather that the Holy Spirit is there, what we have to believe is that there's value to being around each other. So what does Reachway do? We now spend our time gathering together monthly for a meal just because. There's a, there's a couple of different reasons why we do neighborhood dinner, but can I tell you that one of the primary ones is because it's good when we're in a room together because we can experience the grace of God. I need more the grace of God in my life. I hope you feel the same. That's why neighborhood dinner is important. Here's another part of the unique witness that we have as the church is that we believe that neighborhoods are supposed to prosper with our help. So here at Reachway Church, we believe, we have the audacity to think that whatever kind of group happens to say they are part of Reachway Church, we believe that because of our efforts, because of how we spend our time, and because of how we spend our money, that the North Valley neighborhood of Peoria, Illinois, is supposed to improve. We have the audacity to believe that. And we don't necessarily look, I'm not bashing anything here, we don't necessarily look to the local governments first. We don't necessarily look to, to grants and government funding, and we're not asking for people's tax dollars. You know what we do? We look around in the room that we're in at any given time, and what we say is, what can we do? So what do we do? We buy a house. We fix it up. We put some of our leaders in it. 
what do we do? We, we spend a Saturday morning and we go out and we mow some grass and we clean up a front yard and we, we clean up the property of a, of a facility and we, we help other people uh, who are planting gardens in their neighborhoods and we witness to believing that this community is supposed to get just a little bit better because we're here. What else do we do? We throw parties for our neighbors, right? Friends, I cannot wait until Labor Day Sunday. I can't. I can't wait until Labor Day weekend because we get to throw one of the biggest parties that this neighborhood sees, and it's for the neighborhood. This is what we also believe, is that restoration is possible. We believe that broken lives can be made new. Just like we believe that cities and neighborhoods can be made to, made new as well. So what do we do? We partner with organizations that are directly involved in some key ministry and service opportunities that we just simply can't provide. We do things, we do things well, other organizations do different things, and they do those things well. So what we do is we make the decision, we're, gonna, we're not going to reinvent the wheel, and we're not going to try and do something that would be half as good as someone else could do it, but we're just going to support and encourage people that are already doing it really well. Organizations in our neighborhood like the Friendship House that provide case management services to anyone for things like budgeting, family planning, job placement, resume building, uh, different skills. They have a, a student after-school program. We also support organizations like the Dream Center um, that have a shelter for the homeless of our city, that have permanent supportive housing so that people don't ever have to be homeless again. They have a job, uh, a job skills program for kids to learn skills that they never would have thought that they could learn before. We have Habitat for Humanity in our neighborhood that is opening up doors for home ownership. And as soon as you talk about home ownership, you talk about generational wealth, and you talk about the other side of the coin of generational wealth, which is generational poverty. And if you can't have anything to hand down to the next generation, then you're just poor and your family's always poor and that last name is always poor. So what Habitat for Humanity does is they come in and they say, I know you never had a shot on planet Earth to own a home before. Would you like to own a home? And volunteers build homes. And then Habitat gives out interest-free loans so that people can buy homes for the first time. Changing the trajectory of that household for the rest of that household's existence. And it's not just about home ownership, but you know what? We reap the benefits of that as well because when new homes are being built in any neighborhood, that neighborhood is gonna get better. And the bar gets raised that's just three of, I could name a couple of more, organizations that are actively at work in our neighborhood just like we are. So how do we spend our time? We partner. We gather and pray on the fourth Sunday night of every month at the Dream Center, and we pray and we petition for the city. We take time out of our schedules to elevate these things. And at the very least, we sum everything up by saying, we get 
involved. So, Reachway Church, I want you to know today that one of our primary functions as us being us is being a unique witness to what we believe is not only true, but what we believe is possible. That's why we gather. That's why we scatter. That's why we throw parties. That's why we eat meals. That's why we partner with organizations. And that's why we pray. So when you consider how you spend your time and when you consider the life that we are all living and trying to follow Jesus the very best that we can, I want you to know that your time matters. I want you to know that you might feel that you don't have a ton to offer with your time. I want to encourage you to think a little bit differently. That there are different things that, as I look across this room, literally every single one of us is a part of. So I, I rejoice that that 100% of the people in this room are, are involved in the church in some level or capacity. That's a beautiful thing. Let's keep going. Let's keep going.